Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Welcome back to the Defiant Spirit. I'm Baruch Levy, also known as B, and I want to talk to you today about, we'll kind of change gears a little bit, because if you've joined us before, you know, I, I tend to hover around two topics, either the work of Dr. Viktor Frankl, um, father of logotherapy, I'm a logotherapist, and meaning-centered living, um, healing, which is what logotherapy means, meaning-centered healing. Or and or the Enneagram, which is an ancient personality roadmap. And I brought those two things together because I think they go hand in glove. And it's how to live out your meaning, your purpose. But I also jump back and forth around mysticism, spirituality, and particularly my um, area of, I don't know, we all have an area of expertise. Um, this would be mine, and that is Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism. I am an ordained rabbi, though I don't practice as a rabbi anymore. But uh, it's like the Hotel California. You can check out any time you want. You can never leave. So I know I did not get rid of my title. I just don't lead with it. I don't do much with it um, formally. However, we are who we are, and it's part of my identity. It's part of my name. So I want to talk to you today a little bit about Kabbalah and specifically the Kabbalistic or Jewish mystical understanding of Passover. Really quick um, side note. Every time I say Kabbalah, people say, is it okay to call it Kabbalah? And Kabbalah is uh, the Israeli or, you know, more traditional pronunciation. But Kabbalah is the, um, you know, sort of Anglo-American pronunciation. Nothing wrong with them. It's simply tomato, tomato. But either way, we're going to get into a whole new, I think, fresh take on the Passover story. Because so many people are bored bored with Passover, bored with Judaism, bored with the traditional way it's presented. What I would argue is that it's not a boring story. It's not Judaism that's the problem. It's the Jewish people who are teaching it. That's the problem. Because if it's not interesting, you know, blame it on the messenger in this case. Because the actual tale, the text, the, the, the story is riveting and it's relevant now more than ever before. So I'm writing a book right now um, called The Defiant Spirit. I know this is shocking. And it's um, the subtitle, though, is the relevant point. It's called Defy Your Number and Live Your Name. And it really has two different aspects to it. It has the idea of numbers, and the idea of names. Actually, um, it doesn't deal with Enneagram. I, I'm only focused on Kabbalah and Viktor Frankl for this book. It is part of my life's work to bring the ancient wisdom texts to life in new meaningful um, medium through a new, you know, relevant, compelling mediums that we can truly receive it. So, I'm going to share with you a little bit about my book, but 
more importantly, the book is really drawn from the Passover story. Now, Passover, the holiday, um, sometimes called by, well, all the time by Jews called Pesach, which is the Hebrew and translated into Passover. But Passover doesn't really do justice to what this holiday is all about. Translations, things get lost in translation. And so the same is true with the name Passover, which comes from the God, uh, the Lord passing over the homes of the Jews, because, you know, we'll get there. But it's not really what we should be calling this. I get it. I'll call it that. It just doesn't describe the actual holy day itself. And the other one is Exodus, because the Exodus, second book of the Hebrew Bible, misses the point if you call it the Exodus. Because what's an Exodus? An exit. And what's an exit? A leaving. And so in the second book of the Hebrew Bible, or the Torah, we read about the Israelites leaving Israel. But the problem is, if that's the telling, then we've missed the essence of the holiday. We've missed the essence of it as it relates to our lives. By the way, you don't have to be Jewish. The Exodus is a foundational teaching in Christianity and in America. The original, I think, um, seal that was going to be used um, for, for the United States of America was, um, was the um, Israelites crossing the desert. It was important. It was an important story to our founding forefathers and foremothers. And it's been an important story for thousands of years. It was the foundation of the story of liberation for, um, for African-Americans, for blacks in this country, part and parcel of the liberation movement and later on the civil rights, emancipation and to the civil rights, um, you know, really identifying with the Israelites and Moses and the journey from slavery to freedom. So it is about exits, about leaving, but that's not at the heart of it. And it's relevant to you, whether or not you're going to celebrate Passover, whether or not you're Jewish or Christian or atheist, it does not matter. This stands on its own. So I'm not going to go all the way down the rabbit hole on this podcast and in this conversation. There's a little Passover prep. I'm going to give it to you um, maybe in some smaller, do- certainly smaller doses than my book, but um, enough to at least whet your appetite and get you to think a second time around this ancient myth that has withstood the test of time for a reason. So the Kabbalistic, the mystical understanding of Judaism, of the Torah, of whatever it is we're talking about, you know, from a Jewish perspective, is the deeper level. Most Jews don't know Kabbalah. Most Jews know the surface at best. They know what they learned in Hebrew school, which unfortunately is oftentimes worse than no education, in my experience. I'd rather somebody have no education than a bad education. And usually it's a if not bad, at the very best, it's simple, simplistic. Um, it's not all that compelling or relevant. The Torah is a, it's not a rated G book. I mean, this is a rated R, sometimes a rated X book. Certainly the case is the, the deeper story of um, the Kabbalistic understanding of the Exodus. So a couple different conversations, and we're not going to get into the rated X part. I might do that for the next one. We're going to stay with the PG-13 version, not because I'm a prude or I think you are, but because I don't have time um, in the next 20 minutes to get you into where that conversation will, will take you to. And it's pretty erotic, to say the least. Okay, so 
Let's just talk about today the book of Exodus, not as Exodus, but as Shemot, because that's all you need to know to really shift this story and make it more relevant in your life. Understand your life through the lens of this story. So the book of Shemot is, again, the second book of the Hebrew Bible. Remember, there's five. And so the first one is Bereshit in Hebrew, or Genesis. The second one is Shemot, or Exodus. Well, Shemot begins with um, a list of names. It's all of Jacob's sons who become the um, 12 tribes. And their descent into Egypt, because remember, in the end of the book of Genesis, Jacob goes down to Egypt, leaves Israel, begrudgingly, doesn't want to go there, in some ways breaking a, a promise to go and live and inherit the land of Israel, but, but necessary. I'm, I can't remember off the top of my head, I think even with God's blessing, but it's a period of time that he goes down there. And he goes down there because his son Joseph is down there and all of the family moves down there. And they do really well in Egypt. They rise in power. Joseph becomes the second to the Pharaoh on all of the land. And that's where our story picks up in the book of in Sefer, which means book, Shmot, or the book, of, um, the book of names. Because it opens up by talking about all of the names of Jacob's descendants. Remember, Jacob is the namesake of the Jewish people. He becomes Yisrael or Israel. He's the grandson of Abraham and Sarah and the father of Joseph and the, all the brothers and, and um, the 12 tribes. And it lists all of the names of those who went down to Egypt with Jacob and resided there. Now, after a period of time, Jacob has died. All the sons have died. The whole generation has died. And a new generation or two or a few have come and gone. And we get to this point in the text where it says um, nobody knew the previous generation. Nobody knew the relationship between Joseph and the Pharaoh. And it was good, good relations, good times. The Jewish people were, the Israelites were doing well and flourishing and everybody was getting along and it was kumbaya until it says a new Pharaoh arose. I don't have any of this text in front of me. So, um, you know, winging it here, but a new Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. And that everything hinges on that because, and there's many commentaries on this, but it isn't that he didn't know who Joseph was. It's that he didn't have a relationship with um, Jacob, with Joseph, with the sons, with the daughters, with the generation. There was a distance. There was a separation. He knew who they were. There just was no connection. And that's what this is about, because this is a book about names. And names in, in life and in Judaism, according to Kabbalah, are not nothing. They're something. They're, they're symbols of connection. Here's a perfect example of that. If Well, I'm not, I'm not proud of this, but I, I'd often tell it. When I um, was a young rabbi and I moved to Boston and I was just there relatively recently, um, and I was driving pretty aggressively, as Bostonians do in traffic, and I um, got cut off by somebody, and you know, I think they had tinted windows, I don't know who they were, so I was pissed off, and you know, I, I'll, I'll show them, and so I pull up next to them, and I give them the bird, right, the half the peace sign, and um, it was all fine and dandy until I realized it was, we'll call her Mrs. Cohen, 
And I knew her and she knew me and her husband was on the synagogue board and I was doing her grandson's bar mitzvah in a couple of weeks and the blood just drained out of my face and it was a horrific moment. And I thought afterwards, A, you know, I'm just a schmuck like everybody else, but B, um, what's the difference? Like, why was I so ashamed? I should have been ashamed to do it anyways. I own that. But what changed was that I knew who she was. I had a connection with her, literally and figuratively. I knew her name, or maybe more importantly, she knew mine. And it was one of those moments when I just realized or appreciated the power of a name, of knowing somebody. So when you don't know somebody, it doesn't necessarily mean you don't know them. It means you don't know them. You don't you're not connected, or the word we might use is intimacy, not sexual intimacy. That can be a form of it. But Wayne Dyer, another teacher of mine, says intimacy, into me see, to see me and to be seen. And that's connection. And that's the, the highest of the highs, in, in, according to Kabbalah, in this lifetime. There is nothing greater in this lifetime than to see another person or to the gift of being seen by another person. It's, it's, it's everything, right? That is a wedding. You know, when I officiated at weddings, I was just always reminded of the power of um, a couple, a bride and a groom standing face to face, looking at each other into one another's eyes and committing a life together. And, and it's not that they're, it's sort of like a commencement, right? It's not the end of your academia when you have a commencement. It's the beginning. And I would say that's a wedding. It's committing to see you to the exclusion of all others. That's what you're saying um, and on the wedding canopy and the, the wedding day. I choose you to the exclusion of all others. It doesn't mean nobody else can be included into our world, into our tribe. They should be. But nobody like you. And to have somebody say that right, is magical. It's mystical. It's the highest of the highs. It doesn't have to only come through, certainly not through um, marriage. I mean, this is what a, a parent and a child are supposed to say. Not, not the child to the parent, but the parent to the child. That's a very different thing. Another conversation. The child is not here to see their parent, but a parent is here to see their child. Or the people around us, the people who travel by our side to be able to see another human being, to bear witness, is the greatest gift of all. And, and that's what we're here to do. So that's what it means to have somebody who knows our name. As an aside, one of the most tragic experiences in my personal life was, and I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of funerals. Um, but So I've been through a lot of grief. I mean, it wasn't all personal. Some of it was personal. My dad certainly was, my, my grandparents. But nothing hit me ever as hard as losing my, my best friend, Mark. Um, I've talked about Mark many times. He and I were best friends literally since I was born. He was six weeks old. And every step of the way until um, even, you know, every schooling up through college and then after college, um, we moved to Israel together, and then we were in New York together, and then we were in L.A. together, where I was in rabbinical school, and he was getting his MBA. That's when I met Ariella, and that's when we um, formally parted ways, though we never parted ways. We were best friends to the day he died, but he died prematurely, and it was tragic on so many levels. And one of the tragedies that I just didn't understand, I mean, maybe I knew it in theory because I had guided other people through it, but to lose a witness 
right? To lose somebody who witnessed your life is it's indescribable. If, uh, I'm sure many of you have had that experience. And oftentimes it happens, I, I've seen it when a couple has been married for 50, 75 years and they lose the other. I mean, I can only imagine what's that, what that's like to, to lose the person who has witnessed your entire journey. When they die, a piece of you dies. And, and so that's that connection we're talking about. So back to the text, right? The Pharaoh did not know Joseph. It isn't that he didn't know him. It's that there was no connection. It's that there certainly was no intimacy. And there's a thousand reasons why. One of the reasons is because this is a people who had lost their identity. There's lots of different ways you can read this, but in the book of names, it's interesting that we go from a list of names and then there are no more names. They just dry up. They disappear because they are nameless. They are faceless. It is the Torah's way, according to a Kabbalistic reading of it, to share that this is what happens when you forget who you are. You forget, as Dr. Frankel says, your why. He who has a why can endure any how. Well, if you don't know your why, you can't endure your how. Your why is your name. It's your purpose. It's your meaning. It's your essence. And individually and collectively, they were they lost it. Why? I'm not blaming the victim. They are victims. Because Pharaoh starts piling on tasks. He starts breaking them down. He starts appointing taskmasters. He starts removing their civil liberties. He starts removing their freedoms, their their ability to be with their spouse, to be with their family, starts dividing them, putting them into camps. And sounds very familiar. This happened thousands of years later in the 1930s, right? In, in all throughout Europe. What did Hitler do to murder six million human beings? You can't murder six million human beings, not if they're your brother and your sister. You must make them other. You must take away their civil liberties. You must um, remove their dignity. You must break their back, their, their will with, with unbelievably horrific circumstances. You must break their spirit. And that's exactly what Hitler did. And over time, you know, lots of people say, well, why didn't the Jews just run? A, there was nowhere to go. I mean, America even turned away um, Jewish refugees. Nobody wanted them and they couldn't get out after a period of time. But it's so easy to say because it didn't happen all at once. It's what Viktor Frankl calls reductionism. <coughs> Excuse me, choking. They were reduced slowly, methodically. Um, bit by bit over time to the point where they were just broken bodies, emaciated and weak and, and, and had no will, except for those who did. And, you know, that's my, 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 that's why I'm so enamored by Viktor Frankl and so many others, because it didn't break him. Um, so coming back to the Exodus, it's the same story. And the the story of the book of names, it's just degenerating. It's going down further and further. And you can see it as the book starts um, giving up names. Names disappear. And you have the story of a man who has relations with a woman and they have a child. And it's lots of pronouns. He and she and her and the baby's born. And, you know, later we know this baby's Moses. But at the beginning, he has no name. 
And Moses' sister Miriam stands by and watches, you know, the whole story, the basket and the, and the Nile sent down the river. Um, but no names are ever mentioned. And his mother, Yocheved, no name. And, and the, um, the, the boy is finally found by the daughter of Pharaoh. She's called Batparov, daughter of Pharaoh. That's not a name. Nobody has a name. So this is a story about what happens when we lose our name, when we lose our identity, when we are enslaved, when we are broken, when we are um, lost and forgotten our why, forgotten who we are, our essence, our purpose, our name. And the story hinges on, on many things. Not the, and Next time we'll go into the women, the righteous women of the Exodus, who help this um, people regain their name, reclaim their name. But before we get there, this whole story hinges on this idea of kotzer ruach. Kotzer means cut up or broken, and ruach is spirit. And that their spirit is broken. They have lost their connection to their their defiant power of the human spirit. That's a, that's a Viktor Frankl term. Because that's what you need to endure those types of circumstances. Now, none of us are going to be in, you know, extreme environment like slavery in the Exodus. And God willing, none of us will ever know anything close to the concentration camps where, you know, Viktor Frankl and millions of others had to suffer and endure. But don't fool yourself. Each and every one of us goes through what Dr. Frankel called our own inner concentration camp. It might sound a little extreme. It might even sound sacrilegious to say that you have a personal concentration camp, but you do. Because I have counseled so many people, and there are so many types of concentration camps. There's the concentration camp where you are, um, you are thrown into after the death of a loved one, and you are brought to your to your knees, you're reduced to what Frankel called your your naked existence. You have nothing. You ha you feel powerless. You feel like a victim of your circumstances. Make no mistake about it. If you haven't been through that type of grief, I can only promise you. Sorry to be the bearer of bad tidings. You will. You will know that. You will know that when you go through facing an illness, or facing depression, facing, again, the loss of every single person you've ever loved, facing your own mortality. Ain't none of us getting out of this alive. We're all going to have to face that type of circumstance, what Frankel says is a concentration camp. Why does he call it that? Concentration, to reduce, to make us smaller. Well, guess what the Hebrew word for Egypt means? Mitzrayim in Hebrew. English in Egypt, it means constriction. It means reduced. It means concentration camp. This is a story not only about a people thousands of years ago, but about people, human beings in general. And yes, today in the year 2023 of looking at ourselves, looking at our lives and seeing what has reduced us. Where are we imprisoned? Where are we kotzer ruach? Um cut off in spirit, broken in spirit. And if you're not there now, 
You'll get there someday. Ain't none of us going to escape the concentration camp. But the point is, Mitzrayim, your inner concentration camp, does not have to destroy you. It will break you, but it's not beyond repair. Frankel says, yes, your body will be broken. Yes, your mind eventually will become ill. However, there is a place within you. He called it the nuos. I call it the spirit. You can call it Bob. It doesn't matter what you call it. It matters that that's where you go when you feel like you're in Mitzrayim, when you feel like you're being reduced, when you feel like you're in a concentration camp uh, inside of you for a thousand different reasons because of circumstances beyond your control. It's there that we can turn to that place that can never be broken, that is untouched by this world. It is ours and it is ours alone. It is our Ruach, our spirit. It is our Logos, according to Frankel, our meaning. Or it is, according to the Kabbalists, the mystics, your name. Your name isn't the, the you know, what it says on your driver's license. That's a name tag. What the name is, according to Kabbalah, is that divine spark, which is why the mystics call God what? Hashem. The name, the capital name, because that's the source of the defiant power of our human spirit. That's where we come from. That's who we are. There's a piece of you that is eternal, that is divine, that is transcendent, that must be accessed if you are going to defy your circumstances, to defy your Mitzrayim, to defy your inner concentration camp. And that happens when we return to who we are. You don't have to become something or someone else. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. It's about returning to who we are. It's about remembering where we came from. Right? Um, it is easy to look down upon a giant when you are standing on her shoulders. Famous quote, to remember the giant upon whose shoulders we stand. To remember men and women like Viktor Frankl. Right? This is why I turned to him, because I didn't necessarily have this in my father. I loved him dearly. But when the shit hits the fan, I don't think of my dad. I think of Viktor Frankl. He's become a spiritual father for me. Or I think of Jacob. Or I think of other great men and women throughout history. And I draw upon their example to remember that this is the last of human freedoms, wrote Frankl, to um, choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way, to choose your own way that you have the power not to change your circumstances, but to defy your circumstances. And it begins by remembering who you are, remembering where you came from, and remembering your why. And that why is what we will pick up on in our next conversation. I hope to get to it before Passover, but if not, well, there's always Passover next year. And um, we will continue on this journey of what it means to return to that place, that ruach, that spirit, that defiant power of the spirit of your spirit to remember and return to your name because that's what this holiday is about. It is about making the journey from slavery to redemption, from your inner concentration camp to your outer liberation. And no matter what you are facing, no matter what you are enduring, there is a pathway forward. It's not out there. It's in here. It's within you. And we are going to find it together as you re um, return to you, remembering where you came from, 
who you are and what you are. You are the defiant power of the human spirit. So get out there, defy your number, and live your name. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. The Defiant Spirit is an offering of Soul Center to Center for Spirituality, Meaning, and Healing. And if you'd like to learn more about the Defiant Spirit or Soul Center, get more inspirational content, access to a variety of online programs, or see how we might work together to discover deeper meaning in your life, greater purpose for your life, or live the Defiant Spirit power within your life, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, keep living your fine spirit.